1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We've got to start reading at verse 16. <coughs> Excuse me. We've just got to read from 16 to verse 18. <coughs> just three verses. And it says, Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father and Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, we just thank you, Jesus, once again for the moving of your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you are alive and you are upon the throne. Lord, that you come to fellowship with your people. Lord, what a privilege it is to be in the presence of the I Am, the mighty King, our Lord and Savior. Lord, this morning, I just ask, Lord, Lord, that with these clay lips, Lord, that you would move through me, that I may speak unto your people. Lord, what you would have me to say this morning. Lord, I pray, take me out of the way. And Lord, let your people see the majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, just move in the midst. Touch hearts and move from seat to seat. And Lord, let us always be careful to give you all the glory. Because it is all by you, Lord. And all for your glory. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. Amen. What the Spirit spoke about spending time with the Lord is more or less a theme of my message. There's more to it, but it's a theme of it. But you see, in this day and age, the modern church, as it stands, and I mean the body of Christ. I think we all know, we're not kidding ourselves here, that it's become less and less effective as we go on. Uh, It's just a fact. And everybody seems, well, everybody seems quite perplexed when they read the scriptures and they see the modern church and they just wonder, what are we missing? You know, what, what are we missing that they had that we don't have now? You know, where's the power gone? And I was praying about this, and I believe the Lord just spoke straight into me. We've forgotten the basics. Everybody's trying to run on. Everybody's trying to do the miraculous. But we forgot the source of the miraculous. And that's the Lord. It's Jesus Christ. We need to get back to the basics. And if you like, almost, this could be a a second part, if you like, to what I brought last week. But Paul tells us, in Philippians 4 and 6, he tells us, he says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known. Honour God. 
So Paul is basically saying to us here, he says, in every area of your life, there should be prayer. There should be time with God. There should be relationship. You know, it's not for just certain times. It's all the time. And you see, when you read the Old Testament, and I'm sure a lot of Christians do this, and they look back and think, wow, look at what some of them men did, some of them women did in the Old Testament. But the thing is, they would give anything to be in the position that we are now. Because they never had the promises that we do. And they never had that access on the God that we do now. Even Moses, who led the people out of Egypt and through the, through the seas and everything else, he had to be hid in the cleft of the rock as the Lord passed him by. But we can come into the fullness of our Lord, straight into the courts through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And the thing that we miss here is everything revolves around our relationship with Christ. It's as simple as that. That is the key to everything. And that's the key to the church. That should be the center of everything we do. So I want to look at a few points this morning as we go. I want to look at our access to the Lord. So if you'd turn with me, please, to Hebrews chapter 10. And we've got to start at verse 19. He says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter in, the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now you see in that verse there, boldness is a Greek word, parousia. And it means openly or frankly. And it gives the idea of a freedom of speaking and a fearless confidence or assurance. Verse 20, it says, By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, That is to say, his flesh. This verse shows us that by the blood of Jesus Christ, there's that new covenant and that that veil was rent that was in the temple. That big thick curtain so you could enter into the Holy of Holies freely. So you can see the freeness that we have. Verse 21 says, And having a high priest over the house of God, this represents the great high priest, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Listen to this. In other words, we should have no problems in coming before God. No problems whatsoever. If we can draw near with a true heart in the fullness, assurance of faith, we should have no problems with this. It's not just for special people. This is for everybody. And look at the second half of this verse now. It says, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Having your heart sprinkled gives the idea in the Greek of the, of the, the priest that used to go in 
and he used to sprinkle the blood over the mercy seat. That's what's happened with our heart when the Lord Jesus Christ died for us. He gave us that access, he gave us that victory to atone for our sin. And our bodies washed with pure water. Well, this was another custom of the priest in the temple. He would have to wash himself. He would have to make sure his garments were clean. Every part of him was washed completely before he would be able to even attempt to go into the courts of the Lord to do his work. So we've been made clean by the washing, by the pure water, which is the word of God and the word that was made flesh, Jesus Christ. So in Ephesians chapter 2, 15, it says this, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. In other words, he hasn't done away with the commandments, but he's done away with all the ceremony and everything else that you, that you had to do. That's what he means. Verse 16 says, And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. So there's no separation now. Verse 17, And came and preached peace to you which were afar off unto them that were nigh. Verse 18, and this is the crux of it. For through him, we both have an access by one spirit unto the Father. Isn't that beautiful? It's our access. What the Lord has done for us is so beautiful and is so mighty, it's even hard to put into words when we look at the Old Testament to we look now where we are and we we must we must church keep this in mind because it's vital in a prayer life to understand that your prayers will always be heard by the Lord because they have to be because he's made that way that you can enter in they don't fall on deaf ears so the second point I want to come to is our position in Christ If you would please <clears throat> just turn there to First John chapter 4 and verse 17. And listen to what this has to say to us. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness In the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, what a statement that is. Because as he is, so are we in this world. It just shows you the mighty power of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that so he he is, we are in this world. Isn't that amazing? And this is what we've got to get a grips with. This is what the church has lost so much. And this is what the early church knew that they had. The abundance of power. The abundance of a source. A relationship with Christ. Church, that's what we're missing. That's what we're missing. Turn with me please to Romans. 
Chapter 16, please. We'll go to verse 25. It might be a bit more like a Bible study this morning, but it's the Word of God. I want you to get this. Now listen to this. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. See mystery there? Which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all the nations for the obedience of faith. So you see here there was a mystery that was kept secret right up until the time of this of the new covenant here. But then there was a revelation that came to Paul of what this mystery was. Now turn with me please to Colossians chapter 1 and it's got to tell you what the mystery was. There was a mystery crept through all the ages that the Lord was going to accomplish in his people. Look at this. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 26. Here he talks about even the mystery which had been hidden or hid from the ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Isn't that amazing? You know when we turn around and say, what's happened to the church? I tell you what's happened to the church. We forgot that Christ is in us. That's what's happened to the church. We've started to say, well, I can't. When we must understand that the overcomer is in us. When we say we can We've stopped having that relationship because we think, oh, Lord doesn't listen to me. How can he not listen to you? If you're under the blood of Christ, he's in you. He's part of you. And this is what we need to understand this morning. Look at even in 1 Corinthians 3 and 16, and it says this, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth where? He dwells in you. So we are the very habitation of God, the dwelling place. And yet sometimes, you know, we're completely defeated when we come into the prayer room with Christ. You know, a lot of times, you know, people will say, well, you know, when I go to pray, my prayers hit the ceiling. And I always say, well, you know what, brother, sister, that's okay. Because the Lord's in you. They don't have to go any further, you know. That's what it's all about. Turn with me, please, to Book of Revelation, chapter 1. Some of your Bibles look very new, so I thought I'd get you using them this morning. <clears throat> Revelation 1. I've got to go to verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, honor him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Isn't that beautiful? 
and hath made us kings and priests on the God. And his father to him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now we must understand here the words kings and priests. We've been made a dual office of king and priest. Now when you look at this, the king was given power and authority. So in other words, we have been given power and authority over all the enemies of the world, which is sin, which is the devil. We have power and authority over that. And you notice something, we've been clothed in a rich apparel, which is the righteousness of Christ, that we become, become heirs and joint heirs with him. So that's the king side of it. And also, there's a responsibility that comes with it, because when you look into the Old Testament, especially when you look at, at Israel, when they had a king, if a king fell away, then the nation would start away. And it's exactly the same with the body of Christ. When it starts falling away, you start to see the nation do the same. That's why we have to start coming back to the basics in our relationship with Christ. Now the priest, the priest was the highest spiritual authority apart from God himself. He performed the ceremonies, the sacrifices on behalf of the people. The priest was the one who labored constantly before the Lord. The priest's work was done mainly where others maybe wouldn't have even seen it. But as priests, they were able to enter into the Holy of Holies. And they were able to come and intercede to God on behalf of the people. So straight away there, you have your authority in the physical. You have your authority in the spiritual. Because that's what the Lord has done for us. Not because of anything we can do. It's because all by his work and all by his precious shed blood. He has done everything. Has nothing to do with us. It's all to do with him. Our Lord. So it's important for us to know that the very foundation of our prayer rests on our position. On what the Lord has done. And a lot of times people are trying to, and I understand this, but they're trying to pray to get a victory. But what we have to remember is the position that we are in, we're praying from a place of victory because of what he's done. And we have to understand this church. It's the key to our prayers. The key to our prayers are when they come into line with the word of God. Because that's everything. His word, our relationship. When we start to get them to line up, it's when we can start to pray effectively. That's what it's all about. In Psalm 119 and 89, it says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Now remember this. His word is settled in heaven. So what was taught on prayer in the Bible? Well, if you turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to have a look at what the Lord, Lord said about prayer. Matthew chapter 6. 
and verse 7. Matthew 6 and verse 7. Now in Luke's gospel it says that the disciples had come to the Lord and asked him to teach them how to pray. So he's come up to this point in verse 7 now. So it says, but when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Now you see that word, vain repetitions. It doesn't actually mean as such to keep repeating or the word of God. It doesn't really mean that as such. Because if you think about it, if you're... If you're speaking the word of God, it's not vain. The word of God is not vain. So it, it doesn't actually really mean that. It actually gives the idea of somebody, I'm trying to put this right because of the example it gave. It gives the idea of somebody that doesn't have any confidence. That's what it gives the idea of vain repetitions. It gives the idea of somebody that's praying but doesn't actually mean it. Because the word here is batalogio, batalogio, and in the Greek. And it's basically somebody who is speaking something, but doesn't actually have any trust in what they're saying or believe it. That's basically the idea the Greek gives you for this verse. So then, he tells us, use not these vain repetitions. In other words, what he's trying to get across to us is, if we know the word of God, and we know that it's true, then come with a boldness before the Lord. That's what it's given the idea of. You don't have to hold back. You just come with a boldness before me. So that's what he's given the idea of. And then when you get to verse 8 here, It says, be not therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask. Now look at this, in in Isaiah 11 and 3, this is said of, of Jesus. It says this, and shall make him quick of understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge, listen to this, after the sight of his eyes, neither approve after the hearing of his ears. In other words, the Lord was not going to take everything around the world in from what he could see. If he could see there was such bad situations going on, it wasn't that what he judged on. But it was by his own word that he judged. You see what I mean? So he didn't, so whenever somebody was come up to him, let's say if there was somebody that was really sick and they were laid before him and everybody was saying, well, you know what? This person's got no chance. He didn't hear that and he didn't see it, but in his word it says, well, he is healed. You see what I mean? There was a difference. And this is what it's trying to get across to us. And if you go back to our original verse uh, in Philippians 4 and 6 that I quoted at the start, you just want to turn back to that, Philippians 4 and 6, please. And it says this, be careful for nothing, which means anxious. So don't be anxious. 
But in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. Now, what Paul is saying here is basically what the Lord was saying to the disciples in them two verses there. So I'm going I'm to give you an idea of what Paul was saying. He was saying, and I'm going to, as I say, I'll use sickness as the example because that's the one usually we have to hang up with. But let's say you're sick and you're ill and you need a touch from the Lord. Now, this is the idea when you start to get into the Greek of it. This is the, like the example. He's saying pray in such a way that you would say, Lord, you knew at this point in time that I was going to be ill. But Lord, I thank you that it says, by your stripes I am healed. And I thank you that you've already provided it for me. You've already provided a way out for me. And that goes for anything. Whether you're in a bad situation, whatever it is, that's what he means. It means to pray because he already knows what situation you're in. And you say, Lord, I know you know that I'm in this financial difficulty or I'm having problems at work or whatever it may be in the family. But Lord, I know that you already knew this was coming and you provided a way out for me. That's what it means. Come before him in boldness, in confidence of his word. So that's what Paul's trying to get across to us. So if we go to <clears throat> down now to verse, um, go to Matthew 6 and verse 9. And we'll look at the, the pattern just quickly that the Lord gave for us for prayer. So here's the pattern he gives us for prayer. Look what it says, verse 9. We'll all know it well. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now we'll notice when you run down these verses, verse 9, the very first verse, is the name. That name is holy. That name is powerful. And that's the name we come under in Jesus Christ. And then verse 10 is the will. The will of God. So his will will be done on this earth, and that is absolute. There is nothing that is ever going to stop that will of God on this earth. And that always makes me laugh, because there's a, actually there's a photograph of this. It was me. I have a photograph in my office, and there was my dad, and he stood next to a man, and they used to call him Superfoot. His name was Bill Wilson, and he was um, a... Um, for six years, he was the, the middleweight world kickboxing champion. But the thing was, he could only have a kick with his left foot. Seriously, because he damaged his right leg in a car accident. This is the truth. And I remember, my dad was out, had a photograph with him, and he says, somebody come up to him one time and says, 
How did you hold the world championship for six years? Only kicking with your left foot. Like, and I know that's funny here, like kicking with your left foot. I understand that. <laughs> Doesn't mean the same in England, like, you know what I mean? But anyway, he, was, he kicked with his left foot. <laughs> but uh, anyway, he turned around and he went, well, the reporter says, well, sure, they always knew that you were going to kick him with that foot. And he said, well, well, that was all right. He says, they knew. Yeah, but there was just nothing they could do about it. <laughs> and you know what? It's the same with the Lord. We can look at the end of the book. We know the Lord's coming back. We know this earth is going to conform to the will of God. And there is absolutely nothing that can be done about that. Because it's written in his word. And that's how confident we are this morning. Verse 11, our daily bread. I think we all know what that is. He's our provider. He is our provider. He is our source. And this is something I think the churches are missing a lot of times. Because we find when we get this prosperity gospel and we get these big massive churches, you know, and they're absolutely terrified to tell people what they need to hear. Because they're looking at people as their source all the time. And, and, and I'm just being honest, and don't get me wrong, we, we're so glad that, um, um, and we, you know, we're so glad that people come in and everything else that goes with that. But when you know that the Lord is your source, and I think you'll understand what I mean here, it gives you a freedom to preach what the gospel tells you to. Yeah. And that's what we need. Yeah. And that's what churches need to do. Yeah. Verse 12 is forgiveness. If the Lord forgives us, then we must forgive others. It's as simple as that. It doesn't mean that you have to be a doormat. But what it does mean is that you don't harbour a resentment to somebody, your brother or your sister. You just give it over to the Lord and just say, right, Lord, take it from me. Because all it'll ever do is cause bitterness in you. And that causes problems in your relationship with Christ. So that's why forgiveness is in there. And then verse 13. It's temptation, deliverers. Notice this. The Lord will never lead you into a temptation. The enemy will always do that. But what the Lord does, he will always provide your way out of that temptation. You'll never get led into something where there's not a way that the Lord has led out that you escape. That's what that verse means. So turn with me, please, to Mark chapter 11. I just want to show you something else on prayer here. Mark chapter 11, verse 22. It says this, And Jesus said, And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, That whatsoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he said shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, 
believe that you receive them and you shall have them. There's three points I want to make here. First one, have faith in God. Trust in God and his word. Second one, whatever shall say, be thou removed. Now you'll notice this here. If you're praying in line with the word and your trust in the Lord, that can be removed out of your life. I'm not saying that this new age stuff where they say, oh, you know, if you speak whatever you want, you'll get it because that's nonsense. It is absolute nonsense. You know, oh, Lord, make me a millionaire. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, I know the Lord uses wisdom where I'm concerned with that one anyway. But that's just not right. Everything that we pray, it has to come in line with the word because that's our boundaries for prayer. But when we pray in line with the word and we're trusting in him because we can trust in his word, as I say, because it's forever settled, then we know that we're in the will of God. And notice, it was a command. Now this is something that we need to understand as well. You see, whenever we are sick, or you see whenever there's something even to do with the enemy, you have every right to command it to leave. You have every right to command it to leave. Because Jesus Christ dwells within you. And you find that the disciples did this. And thirdly, believe that you receive it by thanksgiving. You see, even when we don't see it, by faith and by what we do, we say, Lord, I thank you that you are my provider in everything. In everything. So our principles, if you like, for prayer are to be, we are sure that the Lord knows every situation that we are in. We are already assured by his word that he's provided for us no matter what it is. He's already provided for us. And the other thing is we know that we have an access to God because he lives in us. And also, when we pray in line with the word, that we know that we are praying the will of God. So that's our principles to prayer. Now I want to take you back over to First Thessalonians, our base reading, and chapter 5, verse 16 again. So we'll just go through this, this verse. So it says, rejoice in verse 16 forevermore. What do we rejoice in? For what the Lord's done for us. For his shed blood. For the access he's given us. That we know we're saved. That we know where our end destination is going to be. Pray without ceasing. And what does that mean? Well, this is 
having a consciousness of the Lord in our lives. That's what it means. That means when in your everyday life you are conscious of the Lord. And listen to this. The, 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 the Greek gives an idea of never actually saying amen at the end of your prayers. That's what it gives. Because it, what it means is that we should speak in a way that we would if we were praying to God. Now that's a difficult one, that one. In other words, we are to conduct our lives like we would a prayer before the Lord. This is what it means. So everything we do, we are conscious that the Lord sees us. That's what prayer without ceasing means. Boy, wouldn't there be a few things that we'd change about our lives if the Lord was stood next to us all the time, wouldn't we? If we knew he was there. Let's be honest. We all would. But this is what it gives the idea. That we pray. And also, when we pray for something, I'll give you the idea. Let's say if, you, if somebody was ill in hospital and they were really bad and you went and prayed for them and then the next thing you closed the door and they said, how's he doing? Oh, he'll definitely snuff at him like he's got no chance. You know what I mean? But you've just prayed for him that he's going to be healed. You know, that's what it means. You give legs to your prayers. And I'm not saying that you completely deny the situation that they're in. You know, if they're ill, they're ill. But there's a certain way you can do it. You can pray for somebody's healing and say, yeah, they are in a bad way. But what does the word say? By stripes, you're healed. That's what it means. I'll give you an example. In Romans 4.19, it's talking about Abraham and it says, Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. But when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's room, he staggered not at the promise of God, though unbelief, but through unbelief, but was strong in the faith, giving glory to God. You know what that means? Basically, Abraham says, I know you see this body. It's more or less had it now. And I know Sarah in the natural. She cannot bring forth a child. But Lord, you said that I would be a father of nations. Lord, so I believe you over what I see in my situation. That's exactly what that verse is saying of Abraham. He believed God rather than what he was saying at the time. So verse 18, verse Thessalonians 5 and 18, and it says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We give thanks because he's our source. And when we understand that he's provided everything for us, that's when we live in freedom before Christ. We give thanks for that. So if I'm coming to the end, always love there's a, a hymn that a man called James Montgomery wrote. I'm part of the hymn, and it says this, and I always think it's beautiful. Prayer is the burden of a sigh, the falling of a tear, the upward glancing of an eye, when none but God is near. That's how the Lord sees every single one of us. It's that sigh. It's that when we can't utter. It's that upward glance. Thinking, Lord, where are you? But in truth, he's never gone anywhere. And even in the midst of that, he's already provided the way out for us. That's what we need to understand.
One preacher said the man or the woman that is intimate with God will never be intimidated by men. And it is so true. When the church decides that it's got to start praying and get serious with the Lord and start praying in line with the word of God, then let me tell you something. That is something that is going to shake this nation awake from its sleep because that's what we're in. We're in a sleep on the going to hell in a handcart. But you see, when we start to pray and say, Lord, your word is mightier. Lord, you can do above and beyond anything that I could ever imagine. And Lord Jesus, I want you to move through this vessel because I know that you are in me. When you start praying prayers like that, and when you start believing, then you see everything else in this world, what's going around you, what anybody says, what anything else matters, it doesn't matter because you're in relationship with him and that's all you need to push forward to pray for somebody to speak to somebody to touch somebody's lives because you know the lord of glory is with you and working through you that's what it's like to be in relationship with god that's what the disciples did and that's why they saw the results that they saw because they were in constant relationship with christ and they knew their source and their lives was like a dedicated prayer before him. That's exactly, church, what we need to get back to. Leonard Ravenhill said this. I'll never forget it. Always touched me, and it's so true. No man or church will ever be bigger than its prayer life. Because you can't be. Because everything depends on our relationship with Christ. Everything. And if we want to start walking in power, then we better check our relationship with him. Because it's him that's the source. And it's him that will take us through. And let me tell you something, church. And I mean this now. I can see it. I can see people growing in this place. And I love to see it. I can see the Lord moving in this place. And we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to really make a difference. And I mean it, we have an opportunity. If we start to come together and start to realize our relationship with Christ, and I mean all of us, if we start to understand that, we have an opportunity to start seeing the Lord really move in a way that the church hasn't done in a long, long time. So I'm just saying to you, we only have as much as God as we want. So how much do you want him? How much do you want to see the Lord move? But how much of a relationship do you just want to be with him? Because when you're in that place, when you're in connection with the Lord, all hell could come against you and it wouldn't make no odds because you're walking with God. God bless and thank you for your attention. Pastor Ken.